the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. To this generation who will be alive to see it all, Jesus said, look, you don't know the hour and you don't know the day that I'm coming back. Only my Father knows that. So you better be ready. You better be prepared. You better be alert. You better be watchful. Don't be found sleeping. I say to you all, watch. The second coming requires alertness that his coming's close. seems like every few months there's a new headline in the supermarket tabloids predicting some catastrophe that will mark the end of the world. In fact, it's not just the tabloids. You'll often hear Christians making these claims too. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy shows us that while the Bible does talk about the future, you won't find any specific days or times. So we need to be ready at all times. It's a message titled, Future Events. And here's Philip. The Bible is not just a book of dusty history. The Bible is a message of gleaming hope centered on future events. And Jesus has been outlining for us in Mark 13 how it's all going to come to an end. What are the events that will mark the last days that will bring us to his return? See, Jesus is going to have a second act. He's come the first time, but he's coming a second time, and he's describing this to his disciples here in Mark chapter 13. In a gospel that's fast-paced, action-packed, and all of a sudden, we have a very long discourse given by Jesus on a particular day focused on one subject, and the subject is prophecy. And the Lord Jesus here gives us a detailed outline of events leading up to his return in power and glory, which would remind you, and I think Mark is making this point, that to Jesus, the second coming was a crucial subject. So much so that Mark, in his fast-paced gospel, stops and gives us an extended version of what Jesus taught. Jesus wants us to know that his ascension into heaven was not the finale. It was a prelude to the finale. There is a second act. Remember what the angel said to the disciples? This same Jesus, who you saw being received into heaven, will someday return from heaven in a similar manner. There are three parts to your Bible, right? The Old Testament, he is coming. The New Testament in the Gospels, he has come. The book of Acts, the epistles, and the Revelation, he is coming again. That's your Bible in three great parts. He is coming, he has come, but he's coming again. A second act 
There's going to be a finale, and Jesus tells us about it here in verse 24. After that time of great tribulation, when at the beginning of that time you'll have the birth pangs, you'll have those signs that will be repeated and become more and more as the delivery of a new age comes about. Wars, rumors of wars, persecution, deception, false Christs. Then you have the beginning signs that will mushroom into the big sign where you have the abomination of desolation. You have the appearance of Antichrist who will declare himself to be God in a rebuilt temple. And that's what Jesus says. After these days just described, that time of tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. Amen. We agree with John. Even so come, Lord Jesus. This is the second coming. And as we move on, let's not miss the point, the striking contrast between the first coming and the second coming. And I want to say to you, if you're not saved, thank God you're living between the interval and you've got time to get saved. You've got time to get to the cross before it's too late. Because you see, the cross is scorched ground. The wrath of God fell upon Jesus Christ in AD 33, just outside the city of Jerusalem, in a place called the Skull, known as Golgotha. And there he became sin, he who knew no sin, that we might become righteous in him. He the just became unjust, and the wrath of God was poured out on him. You know, Jesus Christ said, I'm come not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. He didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. That's what old Vance Havner used to say. He came the first time and they crowned him with thorns. He's coming the second time. He'll be crowned with honor and with glory. When he came the first time, he submitted to the rule of human government. The second time, all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and Savior. My friend, we're living in the interval between the first coming and the second coming. He veiled his glory but the second time it will be unveiled and it will be a fearful sight. Be ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. That's what brought me to Jesus Christ, that verse. I hope it moves you towards the cross and the eternal salvation. That's the second coming. Well, we've got to keep moving. The summons. The summons. This is verses 28 through the end of the chapter. He's outlined all the details that will describe the events of the last days. But now he moves to duties. He moves to the things that the last days generation should do. Remember, we made an argument that verse 30, this generation will not pass away, is not Israel. It's a description of the generation that will be alive to see all of this. And you know what? If you're believing during that time, if you're part of the elect, if you're one of my followers, then I've got several things to tell you about how you ought to live. So Jesus summons those who will be alive during the last days to certain action. In fact, if you study the sermon given on the Mount of Olives, known as the Olivet Discourse, there are 19 imperatives in this sermon, 19 calls to action. A love for the second coming, a desire to live in the light of it, always leads to action, not inaction. Obedience, not passivity. I've always liked Warren Wearsby. I've read almost all that he's written and have all of his books in my library. I remember reading somewhere that he said once, as it relates to the second coming, that early in his life, he was part of what he called the organizing committee. 
You know, he spent a lot of time trying to work out prophetic truth and put all the details on a calendar and know all about the its and bits of doctrine regarding the future. And he was part of the organizing committee. He was kind of trying to all work it out. And then after a while, later on in life, he said, you know what? I realized that's not the emphasis of the New Testament. It's about obedience. It's about living for Jesus Christ in the light of his soon return. So here's what he said, and I'm passing it on to you. Write it down and think about it. He said, there came a day when I left, I resigned from the organizing committee and joined the welcoming committee. Now he's speaking metaphorically, right? He just said, there came a day where I realized, hey, I need to know prophetic truth. And he tried to understand it. Do you know what? Most of all, I got to live in the light of it and be ready to welcome him and be found ready. And some of us need to get off the organizing committee and get onto the welcoming committee. And Jesus is going to help us do this. Now, You might say to me, and rightly so, Pastor, I thought you said that the church is not addressed in Mark 13. Well, certainly not directly. You're right. This is addressed to the generation that will be alive when Jesus comes back. Its focus is on the Jewish people because you've got words like synagogue. You've got the temple mentioned. You've got the Sabbath. You've got Judea mentioned. It's in the future. It's the end time generation. So while it has no direct application to us, it has an indirect application. Jesus will say more than three things. I'm going to highlight three things here about the last day's generation and what they need to be doing. And if that's true about the second coming, would it not also be true about the way you and I ought to live prior to the rapture? And I'll prove that as we go along. So here's three things quickly regarding the summons. Number one, Jesus summons them to preparation or preparedness. To this generation who will be alive to see it all, Jesus said, look, you don't know the hour and you don't know the day that I'm coming back, verse 32. Only my Father knows that. So you better be ready. You better be prepared. You better be alert. You better be watchful. That's how he ends, doesn't he? In verse 36, don't be found sleeping. I say to you all, watch. The second coming requires alertness to be cognizant of the unfolding events. Because while this isn't true of the church age, this last day generation will see these things happen and they can work out, generally speaking, that his coming's close. I forget Jesus argues that. And he uses the figure of a fig tree. I don't think that's a, a metaphor for Israel in this case. I don't think we need to read that into this text. He's just simply saying, hey, Imagine it's spring, and you start to see the fig tree blossoming. Now, when you see the fig tree blossoming, you know it's spring. And when it's spring, you know that summer's not far away. And he says, when you see these things happening, the wars, rumors of wars, spiritual deception, persecution, the Antichrist standing up in the temple, declaring himself to be God, you better believe it, my coming's not far away. At the doors, he says here, doesn't he? So you better be prepared. The signs will tell you that. And then he goes on, he changes his metaphors. So you're moving from verse 28 to 31, to verses 32 to 37. And we go from the outdoors looking at fig trees to the indoors. And there's a master who's gathered all his household servants. And he says to them, hey, I'm leaving. Going on a trip. Won't be back for a while. Hey, got to say something to you. You know, keep the kitchen clean, keep the beds all tidy, make sure the gardens are in good repair, so on and so forth. We read here, don't we, in verse 34, he says to them about each his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to watch. And then he heads off. And the whole point of the story is, boy, they better be ready. No sleeping on the job. You don't know when the master's coming back. Now, there were three 
watches in a Jewish day, but there were four in a Roman day. Six o'clock at night till nine, nine o'clock to 12, 12 to three, three to six. And Jesus takes that idea and says, hey, you know when the master's coming back. He could come back in the evening, six to nine. He could come back at midnight, nine to 12. He could go back at the crowing of the rooster, 12 to three. And he could go back in the morning from three to six. Something like that. And he says, hey, you better be ready. Don't be found sleeping. Maybe it's 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6, 6 to 9. I can't remember. You get the idea. You know when the master's coming, he could come at any one of those four parts of the night. And you need to be prepared. So this is a section frackled with the call to readiness. And Jesus is saying to the end time generation, be ready, be watchful, be prepared. Now, Is that not the same when it comes to the church waiting for the Savior at the rapture? I think it is. In fact, I'm sure it is. Let me give you an example. Go over to 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. We have a description of those who came to Christ in Thessalonica and the transformation that took place, which was wonderful. They turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Change comes. Faith without works is dead. Don't tell me you walked forward at a meeting and got saved if I can't see any evidence that you're still walking after Christ. But here they started following him, turned from idols, they serve him, and notice this verse 10, and they wait for his son from heaven. If you and I are true Christians, we're living in the light of the second coming. In fact, when you go to chapter 5 of this letter, and verse 5, we're told that we're not children of the night. We're not going to be part of the darkness that will envelop the world. We're children of the day. Therefore, verse 6 of chapter 5, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let those of us who are of the day be sober. So just like the generation alive during the tribulation to witness Jesus' return in the church age, you and I are still to be prepared, alive, awake, alert to Jesus any moment return for his church that requires no fulfillment of prophecy and no sign to announce it. In fact, that little word, wait, doesn't do that justice. It'd be better translated, wait up. Wait up. That's something quite different. Wait's kind of passive, like standing at a bus stop. Waiting up, well, that's different. Maybe you're waiting up, you know, for somebody to arrive or waiting up for an event to take place or a ball game that's going to be played late at night and you're a fan. There's this waiting up with excitement and activity. In fact, let me give you my illustration of it. You've heard me share this before. When I was back home a week or so ago seeing my mom her 80th birthday, I realized two things. One, you never stop being a mother's son and your mother never stops being a mother. You know, I'm 55, she's 80, but she treated me like I was 15. You know, sit down, what do you need? And went into the kitchen and started making me supper. And, you know, how you doing? And, you know, all of that. You get it. So it's a beautiful thing. We love our mothers. We don't deserve their love. Their love is undying in the best of cases. And when I was in the RUC, when I was a police officer in Northern Ireland, during the height of the troubles, it was very dangerous. I don't say that to draw attention myself. I worked out of a police station in North Belfast. We were more likely to be killed off duty than on duty. I checked my car every morning for booby traps. I carried a weapon on me wherever I went to my day job as a lay Baptist preacher. When I did my day job as an engineer, I often did night shifts with the police. So I'd work often from about 7 to 12 and sometimes 1 in the morning, sometimes later. But on those evenings, invariably, I can tell you, my mother waited up. 
I can say this. I'm kind of sad to say it. I saw her go gray during those six years, worrying whether I'd come home with my two arms and my two legs or come home at all. And she'd wait up. I often caught her. She sometimes, you know, would just make sure I was in and slip the bed and not let on. She'd wait it up. But as I was coming down from parking my car at the top of the street, I was living with my parents at the time, closed my little Ford Fiesta hatchback, walking down the street, I'd often see a flutter of the curtains or maybe the Venetian blinds being lifted and a little eye popping out. Philip's home. I can go to bed. My boy's home. He'll be in bed soon, safe and sound. Waiting up. You know? Dad fast asleep. I don't know what that meant upstairs, but... <laughs> You know, mom, mom's downstairs. Dad's fast asleep. You know, it's a great picture waiting up. She can't rest until Philip's home. It's not going to be right till her boy's in bed. And that's the picture. They got saved from paganism, idolatry, and they started serving the Lord, following him, and they waited up for his son from heaven. That's a New Testament church. They knew they were children of the day. They weren't going to let the night take over or overtake them. I like what a writer says, a man by the name of Peter Lewis, great English expositor in his book, Be Christ-like, speaking on Matthew 24. He says, Keeping watch here is not like waiting at a bus stop, but working at your job, living with your family, witnessing in the world, faithfully looking to Christ as Lord and judge for your vindication and for that well-done faithful servant. It's not passive. It's not standing at a bus stop just waiting for Jesus to arrive. It's you being on the job, focused with an eye to the sky and wanting to be found like the doorkeeper, like the housekeeper, when the master comes back doing your job. That's preparedness. Number two, prayer. Prayer. Look at verse 33, back at Mark 13. We're on the summons. What do you ought to be doing in the last days prior to Jesus' coming? Well, you ought to be prepared, watchful, alert, and you ought to be praying. Look at verse 33. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know what the time is. Now, some of you right now are going, I don't see the word prayer in my Bible because it's not there in some of your modern versions. This is a debate. It's found in some manuscripts. It's not found in other manuscripts. And so there's a debate among the scholars. Does it belong in there? And we're not going to get into that. And in fact, let's just settle the argument. Even if it's not there, you and I know that when the Bible tells us to watch, watchfulness and prayer are Siamese twins. In fact, Mark 14, 38, you'll find this in your Bible, even a modern version, where Jesus says to the sleeping disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, what? Watch and pray. And so I think it's included. It's in my Bible, but it's not in yours. It's embedded there. Watchfulness, taking heed, prayerfulness. Watchfulness leads to prayerfulness. When Jesus comes The world would be made to kneel and acknowledge that he is Lord, but the believing remnant at that moment ought to be found on their knees in prayerful reliance. Now, what will they be praying? What would you pray in the last days? Remember, I don't think we're being addressed here. So what will the tribulation saints be praying? We're not told, but I would have a guess. Would you agree with me that the Lord's prayer could be a good prayer for them? Because I was thinking about this. If you're a tribulation saint, and you haven't submitted to the Antichrist, you haven't taken the mark of the beast, we're told in the book of Revelation, if you don't have that mark, whatever that mark is, you can't buy and you can't sell. 
That's pretty tough when they refuse you at the supermarket. It would seem to me you'd be praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And if you live in a world at that time that's dominated by the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the false prophets and messiahs that Jesus talks about, and the strong delusion that God's going to send, it's a day of demonic domination. I'll tell you another thing you'll pray. Jesus taught us, deliver us from the evil or the evil one. And if you live in a world where you've lived long enough to see the abomination of desolation, an antichrist rising up in the temple, according to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, a rebuilt temple, and declaring himself to be God and calling the world to worship him, I'll tell you another thing you'll pray. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come in power and glory, for yours is the power and the glory. You'll want to see an end to man's mismanagement. You'll want to see Jesus Christ crush the Antichrist if you're a tribulation saint. You'll be praying, give us this day our daily bread. You'll be praying, deliver us from evil. You'll be praying, your kingdom come. If you're a tribulation saint, you'll be praying like crazy. Prepared, prayerful. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is that not the same in the church age? Are we not to be praying? Do we not want to be found on our knees in prayerful reliance and dependence upon God if Jesus should call us home and catch us up in the air? I think so. In 1 Peter 4, verse 7, 1 Peter 4, verse 7, you'll read about this call to prayer in the light of Jesus' return. Let me go there for you. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be watchful in your prayers. There's another reason to see. If it's not there explicitly, it's there implicitly. Watch and pray. And above all, have a sincere love for one another and cover one another's sins by love. Be hospitable and don't grumble. What's the second to last verse in the Bible? Okay, I'll help you. Revelation 22:20. 20. What is it? It's a prayer. Who prayed it? John. What did he pray? Even so come. Lord Jesus. I like to pray that. I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting with my sin nature. I'm tired of seeing the glory of Jesus Christ be dragged through the mud in the media and an unbelieving world. I'm tired of God's people being persecuted and marginalized. I'm just tired of that. I'm tired of truth on the scaffold and evil on the throne. I'm ready for Jesus to come and do some sorting out Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. A prayer we can all echo. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and a message from our Essential Jesus series titled Future Events. But until Christ comes, we have a job to do right here on earth, right? You, me, and every other believer has been given the task of sharing the gospel and preaching God's word to the ends of the earth. And we have an advantage that they didn't have in Jesus' day. We can use radio and the Internet to broadcast bold Bible teaching. But as we say quite often on this program, know the truth wouldn't exist without the support of listeners like you. It's been an exciting year, and we've expanded to more stations, including Atlanta, Chicago, St. Louis, and Denver, 560 stations total. And that allows us to reach more people with the truth, especially in these days of tragedy, confusion, and hopelessness. As we draw near to the end of the year, your gift is more important than ever. When you give right now, it will help us take advantage of unprecedented opportunities to shine God's truth into the darkness. Give your most generous donation today when you call 888-644-8811. 
or give online at ktt.org. To send a check, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. As a thank you for your year-end gift, we'll send you the ESV Daily Devotional New Testament. This devotional provides insights into the biblical text, along with encouragement for godly living and daily readings from the New Testament. You can use this devotional throughout the coming year to keep your faith fresh and alive, or give it to someone you love this Christmas. Call right now, 888-644-8811, or go to ktt.org. Your gift will make the difference in someone's life this coming year. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our study in Mark chapter 13. That's Tuesday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Mike Mandel, inventor of My Pillow. My employees and I would like to thank you for making My Pillow possible. Years ago, when I invented My Pillow, I thought I was the only one out there with problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I'd flip-flop all night, or wake up with a sore neck or headache. So that's why I invented My Pillow. You can adjust My Pillow's patented fill to your exact individual needs to help you get to sleep faster and stay there longer to get the quality sleep you need. I back it with my 10-year warranty and my 60-day money-back guarantee. And now to thank you, I'm bringing back my best offer ever. Buy one of my my pillows and get another one absolutely free. Purchase the best pillow you will ever own today. Call 800-517-3636 or go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WAVA. Notice the difference a good night's sleep can make. Take advantage of the buy one, get one free offer. Call 800-517-3636 or go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WAVA. There's no question. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.